Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi, and welcome to the Ideas Roadshow podcast. I'm Howard Burton, your host and creator of Ideas Roadshow. And I'm delighted to be partnering with the New Books Network to offer you our uniquely eclectic blend of long-format conversations with a wide array of experts across many different subjects. The following discussion is a reformatted podcast version of one of Ideas Roadshow's first 100 film conversations that's available in print as both an individual ebook and as part of a five-conversation collection in ebook and paperback. Visit ideasroadshow.com for more details. I had the good fortune to get to know Claudia Duran when she was a postdoctoral fellow at Perimeter Institute. And back in 2015, I had an opportunity to catch up with her again for Ideas Roadshow and chat about her sense of what the future of cosmology might be. But interesting though that naturally was, the most memorable part of the conversation for me occurred when she reflected upon gender issues, how as an undergraduate, she'd come to expect some people would discriminate against her just because she's a woman and how her young niece was reluctant to become a physicist herself one day, notwithstanding her obvious interest in questions about time. Claudia, I'm delighted to say, is now an internationally respected professor of theoretical physics at Imperial College London. But I can't help but wonder how many other talented women never made it to such a position due to sociological forces, and how much we have all suffered for it. So the usual thing that we do is to start at the beginning, and what I'd like to do is get a sense from you of your upbringing and, or at least your youth, and how you got interested in science and how you started to move in the career trajectory that you did. But as I told you, I'm fascinated by the idea <laughs> that you lived in Madagascar. So, uh, so I actually lived in Madagascar. I lived in Peru as well. That's right, because it <laughs> says you four years or something in yeah, Peru. Yeah, it says li- you, oh, you, oh, you know everything. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it, it says you understand <laughs> yeah. Spanish. But, uh, I understand Spanish, yeah. Now it takes me some time to be able to speak it. But uh, um, yeah, I used to speak Spanish. Um, it, my parents worked for um, uh, a third world country development um, help organizations. So they've been traveling all around the world. And right. so I lived in Peru with them. So how and old were you when you lived in Peru? Uh, two to six. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so that I remember a little bit. Two to six in <laughs> Peru, and then, and then you wound up? Uh, and then, uh, then my parents went back to Switzerland. So right. uh, we all followed them up in Switzerland. And then from 10 to, to the time where I went to university, to, to 18. 
Um, I live in Madagascar. So that, that was my, my teenager years that I remember much more. Um, and you it lived was in Antananarivo? Uh, yeah, Antana, Antananarivo. Antananarivo. Yeah, yeah. Why is there an O at, at the end of it if it's supposed to be? That's like Italianish. I mean, where, where does that come from? Where does the O come the from? The O? Oh, it's Malagashi. The, oh. the, the language. Do you speak really. any of that? Now I've forgotten a lot. I, I could, I, I, I didn't speak it fluently, but I, I could understand a, a little bit um, and, and say a few words, but, but now it's been, I'm old. <laughs> it's you're, been many years now. <laughs> so not old. Well, yeah, I've doubled my age since, uh, since I was there. <laughs> that may be, <laughs> but... Um, Yes, so I lived in Tana, right. Tanana River, the, the capital, uh, for eight years. I mean, it's an amazing place. It's really an amazing place. Um, I think it has, uh, it has changed a lot in the meantime. Yeah. But, um, How so? Well, it has developed uh, a, a lot, right. and, uh, which, is, which is a good thing. Um, but it's a beautiful place. And so so it's, it's an island, and it has been detached from um, Africa, really a, a long time ago, so it has its own flora and right. uh, um, the species. And so, so it's they have kind of like the Galapagos uh, phenomenon, right? Th that's right, they have the, the, their own, right. really. Uh, so for biologists, it's an amazing uh, place. To have you traveled present. much in the island itself? Yeah, 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 quite a lot. It's, it's a big island. Yeah, it's sure. really a big island. Sure. Uh, uh, but yeah, I've been, I've been all... Almost, <laughs> not everywhere, but I've been from all the way north to all it's the way like, south. It's so. like the, the size of France or something. Isn't oh it? yeah, like yeah, it's bigger than France. Oh, it's yeah. Bigger. yeah, 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 um, yeah. It, it's it's it's. Uh, I think it's the size of France, Benelux uh, combined. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, oh, it's it's really big. <laughs> Those are that's just <laughs> don't tell my wife. <laughs> so uh, so. It's it's a very poor country, very yeah. poor. At least when I was there, it's um, it's very tough. People are poor. People are living on the street yeah. uh, with nothing, um, and and so I, I think one of the the, the things which you, now I realized I went back. I went to so there's this Ames Institute for um, African Institute for yeah. Mathematical Studies yeah. developed oh, in Nigeria. Like, that's right. Yeah, and and you realize a lot of people in in very poor region. Uh, science is like a dream uh, and you can really hold on to it and, and you wonder if you're living in such a poor country why would you do something which you, it's so hard to see the, the, the fruits of it straight right. away concretely exactly yeah rather than doing more engineering things or, um, but there was there was a passion for, for science there? From, <laughs> there was for, a passion for me but, for but I'm, co I'm comparing with the some of the students you see at Ames, which come from very poor countries, right. and, so, and they really so hold much on to. Oh, I see. So, so I misunderstood. So they're much more concrete, much more engineering oriented, because they're they're. Is that what you were saying? Because I thought you were saying something else. No, I was I was saying the students from Ames, they they even though they come from very poor countries, they they attach themselves to this dream of doing science right. and physics, um, even though you, you there's you no concrete. So you would straight away. Right, that's yeah. what I thought you were saying. Yeah, so yeah, one would yeah. have expected that they would be much more engineering yeah, oriented. Yeah, 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 but in yeah. fact, uh, it's that's quite inspirational, really. That's why, that, yeah. That they're, yeah. That they're yeah. interested in theory. Yeah, it's like it's like that. If you maybe if you if you come from for for people in being such a poor country, it's uh, 
it's, it's this, this thing you can really uh, try to, that everybody can reach almost, if it's you, you're doing fundamental physics or fundamental theory, there's, um, this, it's there for everybody. It's accessible, but it's yeah. also, so there's a, it's accessible at some level, I guess that makes it egalitarian, right? The, the, yeah, the, that everyone yeah, can yeah, do it. Yeah. But it's, it's also, I don't want to get too overblown and maybe too romantic, and I want to ask you about your own views, but I can imagine that it might be the case that it's a level of beauty and it's exactly. a level of elegance. Exactly. If, you're, exactly. if you're surrounded exactly. by difficulties and exactly. perhaps squalor and so forth, and yeah. you have an opportunity to participate in a higher, yeah. beautiful that's world. That's right. That's right. It could be very yeah, tempting. Yeah, yeah. So what about so you? How, how, what yeah, so in my that was uh, part of my experience that the, the <laughs> somehow almost the sky was something which was constant and you, you, could, you, could, you, could, you could see it from everywhere. And it, it's true that in Madagascar the, you can see the Milky Way beautifully. Mm. Um, you have a very night, clear skies and you just see this beautiful Milky Way. So it's, it's really like a constant dream which is there. In, in these very poor countries. So I think, for me, that was one of the things I would attach myself to. Um, was it always astronomy, astrophysics, cosmology? Were these the ideas because of the stars and so forth? Or, or was, it, was it all sorts of different areas of science? For me, it was really, at, at the time, I didn't really know about cosmology. I knew more about astronomy. So sure. it was about astronomy. And then later on, I realized what inspired me more was cosmology. And, and where we're coming from, maybe originally, and, right. and the future of the universe. But originally, it was really about looking at the stars and astronomy. Yeah. And, and did you have a particularly inspirational teacher or teachers, and, or how did, that, how did that work? I'm sorry to say, I think not. No. Uh, I think. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think not. No. <laughs> Seems like a very charitable way. Of, of <laughs> <laughs> quite definitive, nonetheless. I mean, there, was, there was no hesitation there. I know. Yeah, no, I can't. <laughs> so despite all of that, uh, you, despite the fact that you did not have your astronomical tendencies supported by the teaching establishment of the day, um, you were able to move forwards with a professional career in science. So how did that actually happen? How did that happen? Yes, so I, th I thought I really wanted to do astronomy, but um, they, people recommended that even if you wanted to do astronomy, the better way to get there is, was to do physics first. And if you do physics, it's easier to go to, go to astronomy rather than the other way around. So I started with physics, and then I, I was really happy to do that. I think it, it uh, related to me much more. Yes. And I realized uh, I was inspiring to fundamental pro fundamental questions much more than uh, phenomenology. Um, so, so I was really happy to go into, into physics and, and then I went more into fundamental physics. I, I, I went for a while to, at, um, I thought I wanted to go into the direction of uh, planetology and mm. understanding how planets get formed. And, and I realized it's, uh, it's actually a lot of uh, numerical sure. uh, data and, and I, wa I was aspiring for something a bit more fundamental than that. Right. Uh, so, so I, I was actually happy to try that for a while and realize uh, I wanted to do something more. I think I got inspired by black holes and this type of ideas and, right. and Stephen were you, Hawking. Were you reading <laughs> popular books at the time? How did you, how did you nurture your interests in, in, in physics and fundamental physics, given the fact that you 
weren't necessarily from a, an environment that was doing that. You didn't have a teaching environment that was doing that. And, and other um, so when I started uh, university in Lausanne, the environment was sure. m much more like that. So, sure. so I think then the, then the lecturers uh, provided that opportunity. And, uh, and I realized as the course was given more in fundamental physics was right. what, what was uh, interesting me the most. Um, and, and yeah, I was reading Stephen Hawking. Uh, that was <laughs> that, that were the books at the time. So Brief yeah. History of Time, the popular yeah, uh, books yeah, and yeah, so yeah, forth. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And were you thinking then, once you started in Lausanne, were you thinking more about becoming a particle physicist? Or did you always think about physics, fundamental physics as a tool towards more astrophysical action. Yeah. You mentioned planetology and so yeah, forth. So yeah, this, was, yeah. this was really almost a tactical thing. I really have to learn my fundamental physics so that I can apply it to the universe. That, that's right. I, I think it really went from astrophysics to maybe planetology for a while, but then to cosmology rather than to particle physics. So really, it's like you say, particle physics was more a way to, so that we can understand cosmology. Um, so we can really get to the bottom of uh, what we're all made of. But yeah, I think I, w I, was, uh, I was more inspired by um, really where we're coming from and trying to, to, to understand the universe as a whole. Uh, I think that, that was one right. of the motivations. And, yeah. and unlike um, some of the other people I've spoken to, and like, more like Justin, as uh -huh. you know, uh, recently had conversations with Rocky Kolb and with Paul Steinhardt, and they are from a different generation, and, and, and the intellectual landscape, the sociological landscape was quite different when they mm -hmm. were mm -hmm. uh, graduate mm -hmm. students in terms of what cosmology was and how it was regarded by the rest yeah. of the field. Yeah. Um, but when you were a PhD student and when Justin was a PhD student, there was, I think, much more a sense of great opportunity and great timing of this field that was just starting to that's, take that's off. right that's right yeah so, so I think when I just started my, my PhD that's when cosmology started really becoming a field yeah. rather than gravity or uh, so even when I started my PhD I, I started thinking I'll be working on black holes and related that to, to gravity uh, and then cosmology was this emerging uh, field of research by itself um, it's true that at the time string theory was really the, the thing to <laughs> the thing to work on, and cosmology was more emerging as a, something on the side, right. but, but not as not as important as string theory, for instance. Right. Uh, but it, yeah, I, th I think it's uh, it's really the consequences of having discovered the universe was accelerating and the results from Kobe. Um, and then a W map was was launched. So, uh, I think people were really realizing that now cosmology is it is its own thing. So, what uh, year did you do your PhD? Tell I me. started in two thousand and two. Okay. Yeah. So you really are very young. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the the, the the timing was excellent, right? And yeah. For you, in terms of. All the things you, you just mentioned, uh, giving you an opportunity to really go into the field when there was so much data, and there was yeah. so a tradition of data and future data, and yet at the same time, a lot of theoretical ambiguity in terms of right. how we can right, 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 precisely right. understand exactly what's going on. Yeah, um, it, it was a time where um, 
people were really trying to, to see how we could get the real world from, from string theory and apply it to cosmology. So right. there was a lot of idea of um, string-inspired cosmology. Right. And, and as you say, all of the data that were coming out, there was this uh, energy of trying to be able to describe them now with what we know from the theory side. Right. So if you were to put yourself back in the position of beginning your graduate studies, and the world as it was then, and your own particular beliefs and so forth, and you were to compare it to where we are today, yeah. is this where you would have expected to be? If I were to talk to the 2002 Claudia yeah. and, and, and ask her, what's the world going to be like in 2015? What are we going to find? <laughs> um, what, what might you have said and how might it have been different? Yes, so I think... I would have definitely said we're going to find the Higgs. Right. <laughs> yeah. And here we that was are. a fairly easy one. Yeah. Though, but, uh, relatively speaking. Yeah. 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 So, but I think that that was the the one thing we would have known. That everybody would have put their money on. Um, I, th I think maybe maybe I was more naive at the time, but people were hoping to to have more data on maybe dark matter, understand a little bit better dark energy. Um, I, I think people had more hope for string theory mm -hmm. um, applied to cosmology. I, I think that was really the, the hope that we'll be able to describe. I mean, the, the, the idea that the, the landscape uh, the landscape idea in string theory was emerging, but still there was a lot of work trying to, to get inflation out of string theory. And, and now that hasn't really, it's not anymore the, the road people are taking. Right. So have there been any surprises? Other than there have been disappointments, I understand, in terms of lack of finding, lack of finding supersymmetry, for example, at the LHC, or lack of finding any positive direct uh, evidence for dark matter through some uh -huh. of these experiments. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. There have been a lot of non-results other than finding, finding the Higgs observationally. Um, has there been Anything yeah. which has surprised you, not so much in terms of a, a result, because I've just said there have been non-results, <laughs> in terms of the way the field has shifted, the sociology, oh, yeah, the different, yeah, 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 the yeah. different so paradigms, you know, that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I think the emergence of ADS-CFT, and that, that's really where I have the impression string theory has gone into, right. that, that, that's been a big surprise, which, it, which is good. I mean, it's, uh, it's been uh, very much into apply. String theory has become very concrete and applied to uh, condensed matter theory and right. to real system. So right. that's been a big surprise, I think. Right. Uh, which, I mean, when I started my PhD, ADSFT was already there, yeah. so we could have anticipated that, but, but maybe not. But not, not for that long, right? It was right about it then, was, wasn't it? Th that's right. It, w it had just been, um, it was maybe two, two or three years old, yeah. 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 Yeah, but it, it's, it's true to, to come back to your previous point. There, there has been a lot of um, uh, missed opportunities where we, for a while we were hoping for non-Gaussianities and uh, unfortunately hasn't, nature has just not given <laughs> us any. Uh, that, that was a big hope which uh, f from the year, from when I started my PhD, to, to 2012, maybe there was the really this real hope that we would observe non-Gaussianities, and there was a lot of uh, people working intensely in this direction. Now that has shifted a little bit more into uh, understanding large-scale structure better, but th that was one missed opportunity that 
nature <laughs> didn't give us. There is that. There is um, the, the fact that we haven't detected um, primordial gravitational waves. That was uh, also an, another missed opportunity. It would, it would have been great. And any of these um, things would, would, have, would have really reshaped the whole way we think about uh, cosmology and, and how it relates to particle physics. So it, we are a little bit on a waiting for a new excitement, I think, yeah. in, in, in our field. And um, normally I, I ask this towards the end of the conversation, but as I mentioned to you, this is a free-flowing conversation. So since you seem to have brought it up, I'm going to push you a little bit and say you're waiting for excitement. Um, what do you think is going to happen? In 2002, you would have put your money on the Higgs had I asked you, which would have been a smart thing to have done. On the other hand, it's also easy to have said. That's right. Uh, <laughs> well, a lot of people would have, <laughs> would have shared the money with a lot of people. <laughs> but here we are now in uh, 2015. Um, mm. There are other experiments that are coming online. They're about to put the LHC back online. There are all sorts of other possibilities. Are you hopeful in any concrete, particular way? Would you put your money on anything in particular? And if so, what? Uh, well, I, I, should, I should say that there's just been some results from the LHC into some rare decays that have been observed. So, so there's still hope there. Hmm. Um, that was released yesterday or two days ago. Really? Uh, cool. so, so, I mean, there's the hope that uh, one will discover something uh, unexpected. At the LHC. No, I understand you're hoping, but I'm trying to pin you down a little bit more um, into, into what you actually, what you would put your money on, uh, what you think is going to happen. You don't have to answer the question, but I just want to know what you, what you think. What I think will happen? What you think will happen. Yeah, unfortunately, in the next 10 years. Give you 10 years. In 10 years. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> I don't know if I should say that, but I don't, unfortunately, I, I'm a bit skeptic anything will happen. I, that's not, in my experience, uh, in my rapidly growing experience of talking to people, that's actually fairly common. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that's interesting in and of itself. Uh, I'm not sure it's meaningful in and of itself, but it's interesting that that seems to be the prevalent view, at least of the people I've been speaking to, that while they're hopeful that something will happen, they don't actually believe something will happen. Is that, has that been your experience as well? That yes. people are of that view? Yeah, yeah, that has been my experience. Yeah. I don't I don't I don't know of anyone who will put their whole money into or even an a bit of money. Uh, that something yeah. will, will necessarily come out. Yeah. Um, well uh, no, okay, okay. Let, let me say probably neutrinos. My my money will go into hmm. being able to hmm. uh, to resolve at least the um, the the hierarchy idea in the neutrinos, whether it's a hierarchy or an inverted hierarchy yeah. for the neutrino masses. Yeah, so let me put my money on that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so at least from that, we'll, we'll have a better insight into uh, what is the neutrino standard model. Yeah. Okay, yeah. well, that's, that's, that's something. something. <laughs> <laughs> so let me, let me get back to, uh, let's be very specific with some of these, um, some of the modern large-scale perplexing issues in contemporary cosmology. Uh, so very, very basic, because we want to be talking to a fairly broad-based general audience, uh -huh. about dark energy yeah. and about dark matter. Uh, 
uh, as well as inflation. I'd like to talk about those three things, and I'd like to get your sense of whether or not the field is stuck, what the possible, uh, not just possible spectrum of possibilities. That's not a good phrase. That will be taken out. <laughs> not, see the power of editing? Not, not, just, not just the spectrum of possibilities, uh, because as you know, this is a conversation. This is not in the, in, the, in the vein of a lecture. So it's not saying, well, it could be this, it could be that. Mm -hmm. 17 mm -hmm. people think that, 13 people mm -hmm. think that. There's this model and that model and so forth. But um, uh, really a sense of uh, as best as you can determine um, where you think the most promising research avenues lie to be able to uh, explain what's going on with, let's say, dark energy to start with. Or with dark energy, um, so, so I think some of the most promising um, avenues is really to measure W and see if there's a running in, yeah. in W. Yeah. If it's really minus one, um, so far as uh, the they're having a, a bunch of new experiments that are coming that's right, that's on, right. Online. So there's so the uh, Euclid uh, satellite, yeah. um, which uh, it's an infrared. Um, survey which uh, is, is designed for that right. uh, among other things right. and uh, there's W first as well right. which uh, aims to understanding so really if um, dark energy is something dynamical which evolves in time and maybe reaches minus one at later time or, or is a, a little bit different or if it's really a pure cosmological constant um, and I, I think that that's that will be if, if there's any deviation from minus one, then I think that will be significant for, for cosmology. And do you think there will be? What, what is your I'm hoping. I think there will be, because it's, um, if there's anything else but a cosmological constant, I even just reaching this, the state where the cosmological constant dominates requires to, to have a period where W is not exactly equal to minus one. Yeah. So just by the way we're parameterizing it, even if the end product is minus one, it might not be minus one exactly right now. Yeah. yeah. So, so that, that would be, but I think that's one of the most important thing to measure, to understand dark energy better. Right. Um, I think we also need to understand gravity uh, better. Right, well of course, and I, I wanted to get to some of your work on, on that, but uh -huh. there Go, go ahead. Uh, well, that, that, that was one thing, but, but um, maybe also, which is related to this experiment, to this observation from Euclid and W first, uh, not only measuring W, but also understanding uh, the way the structure got formed, mm -hmm. that, that will help us understanding what dark energy is. So these two things hopefully will give us a, a clear idea. Right. Um, and will complement each other, presumably. Right, 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, so when it comes to gravity, it's um, so, so, so we, we, there's uh, some strong evidence that uh, gravity is described by GR um, from, from distance scales between an apple falling on the Earth and all the way up to cosmological scales. Uh, but we, that, that's an extrapolation of what we know. So if there were any, not, not necessarily any modification in gravity, but anything else that occurred at larger distances, then we would need to take that into account. 
Right. And I might change a little bit that picture on how we understand dark energy. So what, what sorts of things um, could there be that would, that would be responsible for these modifications? Or let me put it another way. So supposing I'm uh, uh, a bartender, down, down, which I'm, as it happens, I'm not a bartender, but supposing I were a bartender. Um, and I would say, okay, I understand there's this thing called general, general relativity. Yeah. And I understand this thing of general relativity uh, is, a, is a coherent, uh, systematic description of gravitational interactions. And I understand that this theoretical framework, as developed by Einstein, was formulated upon a physical principle, the equivalence principle. Yeah, yeah. And from these physical principles, um, and maybe one or two other assumptions, you're able to go forwards and build this entire edifice, this mm -hmm, theoretical mm -hmm, framework mm -hmm, that can mm -hmm, explain mm -hmm. everything. And there's mm -hmm. nothing in there, in those principles, about it has to be this scale or that scale or this length or that right, length right, or anything right, like right, that. Right. That's the way this framework goes. So while it's possible, of course, that this thing falls apart, it's possible that it only works up to a certain point and it doesn't work anymore, just like Newtonian gravity only works up to yeah. a certain point. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that we know, that, that we're pretty certain we know, because we know that um, gravity, as it was formulated by, by Einstein, it, it's, uh, it, it couples to all the, all the other type of matter and particle that we know of. Right. And we know that the, the particle from the standard model, they are quantized, and so this coupling between these that they, they need to be quantized, and the, and the theory of gravity means that gravity has to be quantized as well. So we know that at some scale, it cannot just be classical GR as we know it. We, we need to incorporate more things. But that's, that's something at very high energy. Right. So I think you going more into why should there be any modification of gravity? Yeah. Why not even so much... Empirically, I can see someone saying, well, maybe they're, you know, maybe because we have some data that doesn't ha happen to fit. Mm -hmm, but, mm -hmm. but if we modify, um, it seems that one would have to modify not just by tweaking the equations, say, right? Yeah. But, uh, so the, the argument is as, as follows, and maybe an argument is too strong a word, but the, 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 the perspective, I think, is as follows. Um, these theories that were developed were developed as representations of some physical, philosophical principles, whatever it is. Yeah. Right? Um, and then from those phys physical, philosophical principles, the equations came out. At the right, end of the right, day. right. Um, so if you want to, if you're saying to me, well, actually, those equations don't completely work all the time. They work in this domain. They don't work in that domain. There's yeah. this cutoff. There's that cutoff. Maybe they don't work at the intersection of different scales or what have you. Um, it seems to me that in accordance with the history of physics, you as a physicist have, there's an expectation that you would have to say, well, okay, there are a new set of principles that are involved, or there are a new set of properties, yeah, and, yeah. and from which these these new equations or modified equations come, rather than that's just right, saying, no, oh, right. it doesn't work up to no, there, but, it doesn't but work that's right, But that's what we do as well. Yeah, uh, so tell, that, me, tell me a little yes, bit more detail so, so about how that works. Well, it's true that uh, the theory of general relativity was, uh, was proposed on a purely classical level through some 
and principle and a strong influence principle and, and right. etc. Nowadays, we we can understand gravity GR better and and relate it better to particle physics if we think of it as G, GR, the theory of general relativity, is the theory of the propagation of a massless spin two particle, right. and that enters that fits the picture of particle physics much more. Uh, so, so all the particles in the standard model, their representation and the point quadratic group, and that will fit in the, that picture really well. Um, and thinking of uh, the graviton as being a particle that satisfies some properties, then all the principles uh, uh, that were postulates in Einstein theory, they actually come out of it. You don't, right. need, you don't need to impose them an, anymore. So it's, it's actually even more elegant, I would say. So it's, it's moving the, the standard classical equivalence principle back to a framework where, you're, uh, you, where gravity emerges as it was as a graviton through right, a particle, right, right, particle right. physics yeah, perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and nowadays we, well at least I think that's quite a satisfying picture because we want to have a unified picture with the rest of the other forces. Mm -hmm. So then the force of gravity is very much equivalent to the electromagnetic force, which is mediated by a photon. The photon is a particle right. carrier of that, and the graviton is a particle carrier right. of gravity. So that fits in very well with that picture. You, you may think, well, we don't know yet that uh, gravity needs to be quantized, or we don't know yet that the loops really gravitate, but I don't think, I don't think that's true. Uh, I, I think we know that gravity needs to be quantized, and uh, like the other particle of the standard model. Hmm. Otherwise, I, I think we, it's, it's not a fair statement. We, we really need to go much way back if we, if we want to give up that, that aspect. And, you know, and there's some strong indications that the loops do gravitate. So, hmm. so if we take these two things into account, we, we are led to that problem. Yeah. Mm. So. There are, um, someone had once postulated that there are as many papers or ideas about addressing the cosmological constant problem as there are fundamental particles in the universe. <laughs> but, <laughs> but what's yours? What, what, what way, that's, that's a much harder question to be betting on than what they're going to see at the LHC, by the way. But, so I'm, right, I'm right, increasing right, the right. difficulty of the questions right, that I'm right, asking right, you. Right. Yeah, I think it's fair to say now, I have no idea. Yeah. I, 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 I tried I try to work on it, and I came up with different models. But and so having worked on it, I, I, can, I can tell you it's really hard. And, and, I, and, I, and I have no immediate candidates. There's nothing that says, oh, really, if we push that way of thinking further, there's really something that seems to be coming out there. So, so I tried the idea of um, understanding if we could modify gravity or modify the way the vacuum energy would uh, accelerate the universe and it, all I can say is that it's difficult it's difficult <laughs> that seems like an understatement <laughs> um, I want to talk a little bit about inflation yeah I talked with uh, uh, Paul both Paul Steinhardt and Rocky Cole about that I don't think I mentioned it when I talked to Justin um, they have some, both Paul and Rocky have different views uh -huh. on, on uh -huh. inflation. Uh -huh. This probably doesn't surprise you. Uh, Paul thinks it's, I'm, 
I'm using my own words, uh, but it seems logically incoherent uh, in his view at this stage. Uh, it's a theory which uh, has run out of a, uh, an ability to make concrete predictions about anything, uh, and Rocky does not have that view. He thinks that uh, it's, uh, it's a theory that, that is elegant, and time will tell whether uh, some of the issues that it has with it might, might be able to be ironed. Mm -hmm. I'm mm -hmm. paraphrasing tremendously, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and hopefully not completely inaccurately. Um, but what I'm interested in knowing is what, what your view is. Does, does the situation with uh, standard inf the inflationary paradigm of cosmology, does it bother you? Are you happy with the way things are as they are? Or, or, or do you have trouble sleeping at night because of <laughs> aspects of inflation? So, so I think the, um, definitely what we're seeing right now is going more and more towards the vanilla model of inflation and the simplest, one of the simplest possible models of inflation. So it's a little bit disappointing in the sense that if it was, if it was more complicated, I would actually have given, given us the opportunity to, to test inflation a little bit better. It's, it's, it's actually getting so, well, simple. <laughs> it's not simple, but, but so um, to, to the... In inflation, it's, it's getting very close to the, the first thing people would have guessed, mm -hmm. that it, it is a little bit disappointing. But, but I wouldn't say that that means that it doesn't have any predictions. It's, it's a, over the years, people have complicated things, so that's to be able to have observables, and that doesn't seem to, to be happening. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think it is true that um, there are some problems with the um, initial... Uh, starting point of inflation mm -hmm. and they are they're not really very much addressed at the moment um, so so people here are, are working on, on that actually but but it is true that uh, now the standard paradigm in inflation is to start is to to explain for instance to explain why the universe is homogeneous and isotropic mm -hmm. you say well first let's start with a homogeneous and isotropic universe and then we have a little fluctuation on, on top of that and they get stretched and that's right. explaining why we're seeing such right. an homogeneous universe later on we call that begging the question in philosophy yeah. yes so so it's true that it hasn't um the the question of the initial conditions is still present mm -hmm. but but the hope is that uh, Inflation does serve a purpose of, of pushing the question to some extent. Um, it could be that uh, it's, it's not a question we, we're able to address with a current understanding of the physics. Maybe it's really a question of the, at the Planck scale. And uh, if the fluctuations were, were occurring at the Planck scale, we don't, GR is not the right sure, theory regime. to describe it. Right. So at the moment, we just cannot answer the question. And, and inflation is serving a role to, to bring things all the way up to, from the moment inflation starts, then it, mm. it, it provides the right uh, behavior of the universe to explain what it, what it is we see today. So my yeah. sense is that, that you recognize some, in, uh, some things that are naturally unsatisfactory, but, but you don't seem to be overly concerned about it because from what you were saying, if it seems to me the, the regime of quantum gravity is something where you're pinning your hopes to the extent that, well, these things that, that 
that are problematic now are problematic because they're manifestations of some underlying different different theory, a different regime, or different whatever. I, I could I could believe that. It's yeah. it, I'm not fully satisfied with that uh, resolution, but I can believe that it's uh, it's not a question that we can address right now. So is cosmology in a sense of crisis? Again, if I'm somebody on the mm -hmm. sidelines who's looking at this and I yeah. think, okay, what, what does Claudia do all day long? <laughs> she was this uh, bright, young, vivacious <laughs> thing in Madagascar, excited about science, looking up at the night sky. Now, uh, then she did this and that, went to Lausanne, went here, went there, went to all these postdocs. Now she's a professor at uh, Case Western Reserve University. Um, and she's confusing me with all this talk about this regime and that regime and this possibility and that possibility. But in the meantime, it seems like these guys are stuck. Well, we, we're never stuck because in trying to resolve some of these issues, we learn a lot. And it, it's always been like that in, right. in physics. As a, for instance, the SCFT came out of string theory, and it's not a direct, it's not people started studying string theory to do ADSFT, but something that came out of it. So, and now, trying to understand some of these puzzles in cosmology, they help us understanding things in particle physics as well. So what I'll do all day might not be <laughs> <laughs> applicable directly to uh, solving the cosmological constant problem or dark energy, but uh, I strongly believe they, they're applicable to um, some area of physics. And so we, we're definitely learning every day. <laughs> so there's a, a sense bit. of overall convergence in the field, even if it looks like you know, individually or on a daily basis, you're going in different directions. But, but from a, a holistic perspective of the field, this knowledge which is being that's right. accumulated. That's right, that's right, that's right, that's right. So yeah, yeah, yeah. We really, there are new understanding of fundamental physics which are emerging out of the questions that we're trying to address, even right. though they're not related. But you neatly sidestepped my original question, which was, is <laughs> cosmology in crisis? Would you define it that A little bit, way? yeah, a little bit. Um, it, so maybe we maybe we ask everything we could ask to go from cosmology, or maybe we're just um, in an between region or period where we we had amazing data from uh, ten years ago, and then we we're waiting for the next amazing data. Uh, it's, it's not to say that we, we're not having amazing data right now, but they they kind of all the data we're having now they are fitting our expectations so well that it's uh, harder to, uh, to see what the next thing is in, in mm -hmm. cosmology or, or to, to see which direction we have to go into to solving the, the problems that were already there 10 years ago. Yeah. Let me tack a little bit and talk about um, the public's perception of science and the public's perception of what, you, what you're doing, which is one of the reasons I asked about the objective view of is cosmology in crisis or what have you. Um, do you have a sense that the general public has a sufficient appreciation of, first of all, cosmology, what it is that you're doing, um, the merits of that, the beauty of that, the value of that? Is that something that uh, exists in our, in our society? I think so. I think I think uh, I go like you say. Um, I meet someone at the airport, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and uh, and uh, we start talking. And I tell them I'm uh, trying to understand the evolution of the universe, the content of the universe, and you can see that sparkle in the eyes of people. They they are excited about that. It's something I think ninety percent of the people they they 
they want to learn more about. And maybe they don't have the opportunity in their everyday life, but, but I think a lot of people, they, they have this curiosity uh, deep inside themselves, and, and, and I think it's, they believe it's something that we as humans should be uh, trying to understand and, and study further. Um, do we do a good enough job communicating that to them? Do we do a good <laughs> enough job as a society? And does, and does that depend on the place? Is it better yeah, in some yeah. places than others? So, so I mean, since, since you raised the question, I think, I think we, we sometimes do a bad job into communicating what's the, what's the real story. I think, unfortunately, sometimes some uh, aspect gets uh, blown out to the public, which is not necessarily the most relevant things of what's going on. Um, so give me an example of what, what you mean, or can you give me an example, or would you prefer not to give me an example? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I prefer not giving you okay. an example, but yeah. It, uh, not necessarily a concrete example, so that, that just give me a sense of uh, would it be news reporting of a specific, specific event? Would it be more the newsy side of science as opposed to understanding the, the general process of it? Would it be so, sensationalism? So, or, or? Well, I, I think first that uh, the public sh shouldn't be there to, to clean up, to, to see our dirty laundry. So, so there are some, some steps in science where it's not clear what the right thing or the bad thing is. And, sure. and so we're still debating was what's the right direction and, and I think at that time it, it might not be the best opportunity to bring it to the public and present it to them as the the theory of, of everything I see but that so my perspective on that is that's a false representation I mean so uh, I'm using my words not yours so you can say whatever you want but my sense of the the situation that you described is is as follows my sense is it should be brought to the public that part and parcel of the process of science is divergent views, difference of opinion, competing theories, what have you. Absolutely, if, if that aspect is brought, is, is clear. Right. If it's clear to the public that it's not the definite view of everybody, right. then, then I think that's fine. Right. Um, but I, I think um, it, it should, it, I think the public uh, it sh should be asked what they think about, uh, and they, 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 uh, af after all, we're doing this for the public, we're doing that for, for everybody, and if a, a given description clears to the public, then it, it's good, but um, it, it should be clear, it should be made clear to the public when it is something that uh, not everybody agrees on. But, uh, and I would add, uh, since we're having a conversation, that, that in my experience, in general, that's not been made clear enough. That most of the time, there is this conversational element to it. Most of the time, there is not canonical agreement on what the way forwards is. That part and parcel of science is that it welcomes and encourages different views and that it is an ongoing process of right, discovery right, 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 and confirmation right, 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 and right, right. open conflict. And I yeah. mean conflict in the, the literal sense of the word, in, in a healthy way, that, that there are different views that people should always be able to say, well, okay, fine, what about this and that, and, and right. here's my particular theory which right. fits the data as we so understand it now, right. and we'd like to move forwards. Um, and it might be the case, I don't know what you think, so let me put it to you, it might be the case that th there is sometimes uh, a disconnect between the public's desire 
or many members of the public's desire to know what the latest theory is, mm -hmm. what the new theory is, mm -hmm. and an unwillingness to fully accept or embrace uh, or, or have the patience for the messy business of the natural conflict of science. You know, don't tell me all the stuff that one, people, you know, one group of people think one thing and the other think the other. I want to know what's the theory. I want to know what's new. And I think that, to my mind at any rate, that indicates a lack of understanding on what science is really all about. Absolutely. And, and I think that's very important for, for people that w want to get into the field, for, for students, or, for instance, that they, they might think there's, there's a clear path that you follow and you work hard in that and you're going to get the solution. And then get into research and realize that we don't know what the answer is and maybe you're going to spend five years working on that and realize that wasn't the right thing to do, but you learn from that. Right. Uh, and, and that's a hard sell to tell the public that, hey, look, <laughs> we, we spent so much time doing this, but actually it wasn't the right thing. It's not very exciting. I think we're living in a society where that feeds on excitement, but that's not the way things really work out. Yeah. Um, and do you, do you make a deliberate effort to stress that in your teaching and in your, in your public communication? And, and is that something that you spend much time doing or, or not so much? So, so I think in the teaching it's important to, to sure. do it. Like, like it, for instance, when I teach, I often I may, I may make a mistake and then we have to go back and say, oh, okay, this result is not consistent. Let's go back and let's see if we can all find the, the answer together. Um, so so I, th I think this is something, yeah, we need to, to make a bigger, uh, we need to be better at showing how research is really done and, and, uh, and, and, and show the public and people that want to go into the field that it's okay and it's actually part of the process and, yeah. and out of this messy business, we, maybe something beautiful is going to come out, yeah. but uh, in, the, in the intermediate stage, we don't know. Sure, and, and not knowing is okay. That's right, that's right, that's right. I mean, I'm, I'm often, uh, people often ask me the question of, uh, so what are the, what will be the direct implication of your research? Are you gonna save someone's life tomorrow? Mm. Um, and, and I think we, we need to make a better job of, at explaining that this is not the way it's been done in the past. And nonetheless, we had great successes out of the way we've done research. And we're hoping that the same will Will, will will happen here. So yeah. we 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 need to do research, not necessarily knowing what the end product will be, um, but with the hope that there, there will be a so, some positive outcome of it. But positive outcome can be defined in all sorts of different ways, and um, so let me just give you my my sense of things. Um, as you know, I was involved in physics administration for a while. And there was a constant pressure to justify to the public this sort of thing. Well, what's all, all this money, what, what's it all going to give us at the end of the day? And one finds oneself trotting out all sorts of arguments. One finds oneself trotting out arguments like, well, you know, um, that cell phone that you have in your mm -hmm. hand mm -hmm. works with mm -hmm. GPS technology, mm -hmm. which is which is uh, associated with aspects of the general theory of relativity. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, you know that, uh, that uh, link that you have on the internet actually is right. associated with the internet, which was uh, invented by Tim Berners-Lee when he was working at, at this particle physics accelerator right, outside right, of right, Geneva right. and so forth and so on. Um, so those things are, th those are true statements. 
those aren't, as far as I know anyway, <laughs> those are not untrue statements. Yeah. And yet I think they are a trivialization of the merits of those activities. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think to say that, well, general, rel or to imply even a little bit that the general theory of relativity, which I actually believe is, is one of the greatest accomplishments in the history of mm -hmm. mankind, mm -hmm. can somehow be more justified because, mm -hmm. well, 100 years later, people, or almost 100 years later, or whatever it is, people started using it for cell phones. Mm -hmm. um, whether or not they use it for, that's nice that they use it for cell phones, but if, if it turns out that, that as it was 30 years ago, say, when there was no particular direct application of the general theory of relativity, that would in no way, in my mind, diminish its beauty and import to the human species. You see where I'm going with all yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think then that's connected to what I was saying, that it, it does, uh, the, the research we're doing, it excites the public. And, and that's right. one but, of the... But I think that should be said right off, I guess. And I'm not, certainly not accusing you, but I'm saying this, this, this conflict. And I myself felt this pressure of saying, mm -hmm. well, you know, what's it all for? Well we're understanding the universe and isn't this remarkable mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. you know little monkeys on this, <laughs> on this planet are actually able to get a really deep understanding of how the universe began and what's going on right now and how it may be accelerating and what's happening in different places mm -hmm. and sure mm -hmm. there are questions great mm -hmm. there are questions mm -hmm. and there are problems and the, the, but but isn't that a remarkable accomplishment um, and and I agree with you that I think the public has a much greater tolerance than people might think for that sort of excitement and understanding in and of itself. Is it different in different places? Is it, is it uh, so you, you live in the United States, you work in the United States, you, uh, you are a Swiss citizen as I understand mm -hmm, it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you've lived in, in, in Peru, you've lived in, in Madagascar, um, granted, you were at different ages in <laughs> these places, but do you have a sense, as somebody who has lived mm -hmm. in different places and certainly traveled an awful lot for, for your work, that uh, different countries have different levels of acceptance and, and, and enthusiasm or lack of enthusiasm for the scientific yes, endeavor? Yes, so that's maybe one of the things that um, some societies become much more pragmatic uh, and, and it's not, some, somehow, some countries which are much more disfavored economically, they still have the dream in, uh, they, they still know what's important in life, I would say. Yeah. Um, whereas in, uh, in some other societies, we, we so based on to what's pragmatic and how we can do things in the most efficient way, that we disconnect ourselves with who we really are and why yeah. it's important to do these things. Yeah. Um, but also it's a part of different people. Uh, sure. I mean, we're making generalizations, yeah, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and of course, there are people who are superficial everywhere, and there are people who are profound everywhere. And so, sure, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But, it's, but that being said, I think societies do have different values right, right, writ, right, writ right, large. Right. And so I'm asking to probe a little bit in yeah. places where you think that some of these values that we're talking about that are motivating you to do your work are more firmly embraced in some places. And is it right to say that it's your claim that, uh, that, it, that somewhat ironically in places that are sometimes less developed right. in economically, economically yeah. 
um, there is a greater resonance of, with these ideas. Yeah, I think I would say so, yeah. I think, I think this dream is more present and, and the importance of being able to understand where we're coming from, what the whole universe is about, is, uh, has a, a bigger impact on our everyday life. Mm. Yeah. But I, th I think maybe also related to, to what you were saying, I, I realize for some people, they, uh, we can't tell them, oh, we understand the universe with such a big precision, and, they, and for them it's very abstract. Whereas if we tell them, look, you have this uh, GPS on your iPhone, and uh, with that you can, uh, it's thanks to, our technology, to, to the theory of general relativity that we were able to do that, it becomes much more concrete. So, so often I talk with people and they, it's too abstract that we tell them, look, we understand the universe so well. They, they almost don't believe us, they, they, or they m might not realize what it really means. Right. Uh, so, whereas if we tell them, look, we can really tell whether you are <laughs> a, a meter away because we're using these relativistic corrections, then it's, they realize that it's, uh, it, it was important. Right. Hmm. Um, I want to ask something different. Um, so you're a theoretical physicist who's had a very successful career in a male-dominated domain. Uh -huh. um, has this been difficult for you? Have, have you? Do you feel that you faced additional challenges that men have not faced? So I think uh, I'm extremely stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> so I haven't really uh, been too concerned about uh, these type of issues. But, but if I think of it in retrospect, for instance, I was as an undergrad, um, and a question would be asked to the class, and I would raise my hand saying, to, to, to say the answer, and the lecturer would say, oh, you cannot possibly know the answer, and then ask someone else. And, and for me, that just went, that went through, because uh, I was too stubborn to, <laughs> to care about it. But were you aware of it? I mean, it registered with you, you just, you just ignored it. Is that that's it? right, that's right, okay. yeah. I was aware, but, but, but it's more in retrospect that I realized, oh, that was really rude, actually. At the time, I just thought that was funny. <laughs> um, because I, I, I was confident in my answer, but, but I think it's, uh, I, I can see that it's, uh, if, you, if, you, if that bothers you, I think I, I have to say, I think I, I was younger mentally at the time. And this lack of confidence came in later, which was good for me. Because other this lack of confidence came later? So, so I, th I, th I think women uh, at some point t tend to have less self-confidence. And, mm. and, and usually that comes in right when you go to university. Uh, and if someone tells you, oh, you cannot possibly know the answer, then that really brings your confidence even lower. And you, realize, you think, well, I'm not going to work on that because surely I'm not good enough for that. Right. Uh, whereas I, I, I hadn't... <laughs> Maybe I wasn't <laughs> mature enough at the time to realize the implications of what that meant, really. Um, but then eventually, if, if what you're saying is true, so if, if eventually you found that you, this lack of confidence came later, then presumably you still had to deal with that yeah, at, a, at a later yeah, time. Yeah, so I, I had a hard time at some point. During my PhD, I, had a, I would say I had a, a really hard time. And, and uh, I was just lucky enough that uh, I think I was stubborn to... to not to consider uh, dropping my PhD being an option, well. but, but I can imagine that uh, that would have easily been an option if I, if I hadn't been so stubborn. Um, 
I mean, I'm oversimplifying things. I think it's true that we're still uh, facing a lot of issues which, uh, which make it a little bit harder for women to succeed in, in our field. And I think the, we see that women, uh, are, the, the ratio of women is dropping as the level goes up, but it's really an issue which comes in that uh, early on rather than, than later on. So what should be done if you were queen of the world uh, and, and able to mm. affect any change you, you could, what would you do? Uh, I think you, you, you need to, uh, physics um, is, is taught in a very specific um, uh, type of way where, let me try to think a bit about that. Um, so, so I, th I think it would, I, I would, um, I would make it clearer that it's uh, um, it's okay not to be perfect in something and still give very good contributions to to a field. I think that's one thing that maybe uh, people, when they they start their undergrad degrees, if they don't have the best mark at a, in a given subject, they think that they they won't be able to succeed in that mm -hmm. in that subject. And while it's true to some extent, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily you can develop later on, for instance. Um, I think uh, th there's, uh, there's, there's also a stereotype of, of how, um, how it's like to be a physicist. And, and I think, yeah, the biggest thing is to change what the stereotype is. So how do you yeah. do that? Uh, then I think that you have to start even earlier on because sure. uh, <laughs> I have a niece. She's, she's very bright. She's great. Um, she's 10 years old. And uh, a few years ago, she was asking me about the notion of time. And I was telling her, look, it's a very important question. We don't really understand. We don't. She was like, well, how did time start? And, and, I, and I was very impressed. She would already have this question. And I told her, look, we need people like you to, to study that. We don't know the answer. Right. And she was like, I'm not going to become a physicist. Because she has in mind these physicists, physicists are these anti-cool people who... Is it physicists are anti-cool, or is it physicists are men, or is it, or is it both? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's both. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, th I think if she, if she had that picture that uh, a physicist could be this glory princess and, um, and be successful in life and, and uh, not need to live in a cave all day long and be antisocial, um, if, if she... If they could see that a physicist is something really fun to do, then that would that would change. But but that's disappointing to me because unlike most ten-year-old girls with a lively intellect and a, and a curious mind, she has an aunt who who is a theoretical physicist. I mean, she has a role yeah, model yeah. of somebody <laughs> <laughs> who, who who is uh, rather unusual in, in in that respect. Certainly statistically. I guess that's the only way you can be unusual. But anyway, unusual. Um, uh -huh. and, and so that's somewhat depressing to me that if even she doesn't make that right, connection, right, right, right. that doesn't bode very well for large numbers of young girls who don't have such a role yeah, model. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. I agree. So, so maybe <laughs> that's not a good thing. It doesn't seem a very, very I'm good not thing about you, no. <laughs> the role model I present. But, uh, but it's true. It's, uh, even if she can see that it's possible to be a woman and and uh, and be happy doing physics is if still it, it seems like a boring 
uncool thing to do to, to mm. go in this region, in, mm. in this area. And, and when I was at school, it's true that there was this, uh, it's a little bit this um, culture of uh, hating physics as a course. And, and often when I talk to people, um, even I go to, to the doctor and they ask me, oh, what do you do? I'm a professor in physics. Like, oh, I hated physics. That was my worst subject. And that's a, it's, it's a standard reaction. Whereas if you tell them, I'm doing cosmology, I'm studying the, the universe. universe, they think, oh, that's so cool. But if you tell them, I'm a physicist, oh, that's so uncool. And, and I think we, we should just try to give a better picture of that a physicist really sure. is doing cool things. Sure. But, I mean, there are two issues. There's, it seems to me, there's the societal mm -hmm. appreciation and awareness of physics vis-a-vis -vis cosmology or astronomy or or anything, biology or, or anything. Yeah. And then there's the gender issue. Right. Um, and <clears throat> to me, something which has been pointed out and which I think probably has some merit, but I'd like to hear your views on, is that the culture within theoretical physics tends to be very aggressive. If you go to seminars in physics um, and you listen to the way people interact, and you don't have to know anything about physics, you just watch their body language and their questions, right, and right, it's, it's a right. very, very aggressive forum of interchange, to, to, yeah. to call it by a polite name, yeah. um, that you find quite different than a lot of other academic areas uh -huh, of research. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Um, and some people have said, well, this, this is a representation of, of a testosterone-riddled environment, or, or it's not clear what the causal agent is, whether one thing causes the other or, right, or, or right, whatever, right, but right, there, right. there is a relationship between the attitudes that one encounters in a standard physics seminar and the fact that a statistically high proportion of the theoretical physicists who are involved are men. Do you think that that, <coughs> that claim has any merit, or that there's anything to that at all? Uh, I probably, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can, um, so I've been working in the past few years, which hasn't happened in the, at the beginning of my career, but in, in the past few years I've been working more and more w with women. And what I'm going to say is a stereotype, but, but it's true that we, um, we tend to interact each other far less, mm. and we, we tend to acknowledge someone's perspective uh, more, much more often. Um, so, so they, of course, there they are, they are issues if there's just a group of women working together. I'm not saying this is, this is better, but, but they're, they're, this, it's, it's true that um, some of the issues you're talking about are very aggressive um, seminars, for instance. It, in my experience, that's less present when I'm working with more, with more women. Uh, it's a little bit cultural as well, uh, and it's a little bit, uh, there's a little bit of um, what sets the tone. And it's, uh, it, it, it can be that um, a given department is, the, the tone is set up by a few people, just one or two, and then it, it becomes very aggressive, and the students coming out of that are very aggressive, whereas in other environment, it's set up in a very different way where mm. The students are encouraged to ask questions, and there's no wrong answer. Uh, and, and the culture coming out of that is very different. Do you think statistically the culture has improved or changed in any way from when you were uh, a PhD student? If you statistically, were? yes, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can see it uh, in the past few years already that the, I can see more and more women 
um, uh, starting their PhD. Right. And, uh, and is there more of an awareness uh, to these issues by, by men as well, do you think? Um, so, so there's an intellectual awareness. <laughs> I guess it starts there. Yeah. <laughs> there's an intellectual awareness. Uh, I have been working with people who would be the first one to, to point out that we need more women in the field and the, the, first, the, the first ones to, to help women in the field. But yet, when it comes to concretely behaving in a way which would encourage women in the field, they, it, it might not be there. There might be a little bit of a discrepancy. But, but that's not only men. Women behave the same way. That, that's true. Yeah. That's, that's definitely true. Do you feel added pressure? Sometimes people who are accomplished women in the natural sciences, they feel this added sense uh, that they have extra responsibility. They not only have to be a top flight scientist and researcher and be judged on the, the normal metric of grounds of papers and citations and impact and all the rest of that sort of thing, but that at the same time they have to also be a role model for other women. At the same time they have to be fighting in a, in a male-dominated world and thus uh, to some extent, it's, it's even harder. They have the, the same amount of responsibilities and pressures and work as, as their male colleagues do, but they have this additional factor on them which increases the pressure. Do you feel that as well? So, so what I feel is um, it's a little bit harder to, um, to really define who I am or mm. to... Uh, I'm much more put in, into questions. Um, so, so, yeah, to some extent it is trying to establish a, a role model and how, how um, I can be who I am in, the, in this field. Um, but it's true that uh, often I, I, I give a talk and people are, how old are you actually? Uh, or or, or, or mm. on questioning the fact that um, I'm actually the person giving the talk. Um, so it's almost like an identity issue. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I, I, I can see this is improving over, over, over time. And, it, and, and I'm also getting older. <laughs> Nothing that helps. <laughs> 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 so one final question, because uh, I guess we should, be, uh, we should be wrapping up for time. You've been very generous. Thank you for your time. Um, um, as you know, part of what we do is to be working with uh, high school teachers and high school students and all the rest of that. What sort of recommendation would you have for a high school teacher to do a better job, to teach science better, to teach physics better, to be more effective in the classroom, to inspire more students, and to have a greater legacy in terms of concrete impact? So. Uh Maybe that relates a little bit to the question you had at the beginning. If I had a role model as a teacher, and, and I didn't really <laughs> at the time, but I think uh, from my experience, uh, teachers nowadays in, in the US are doing an amazing job at stimulating the, the, the students and the kids and, and being real good role models. Um, I, I can tell you what. Um, I would have hoped my teachers would have done better, but I'm sure m most of the teachers here are, are doing it already. But I, I think there are different aspects. The, fir the first one is uh, realizing there's no wrong answer. There's never any wrong answer. Uh, physics is really about understanding things and maybe uh, 
maybe the way to think about something wasn't the quickest, but there's definitely some merit about taking a given, uh, following a given direction. Um, I think s sometimes, at least when I was told, there was too much emphasis onto the end product and, and showing the results as being the God-given truth rather than all the processes that went into uh, getting th this result. Right. Um, I, I think that's one thing that um, young women might appreciate to realize that all the biggest thinkers in the world, they, they had periods of not being sure of what, uh, what one had to do. Uh, yeah, so that, that, that would be definitely one, one aspect. I think another aspect is um, probably to try to incorporate as much as possible uh, current research into what's been going on. Right. Um, because there's often a sense as a student that, um, well, it's not really all very interesting finding out how this projectile will be <laughs> launched from here to here. And if that's all physics is, right, well, right, who right. cares? Because yeah. I don't really care yeah, about projectile. Yeah, I'm not yeah, going to be yeah, a, yeah, yeah. a 17th century ballistics <laughs> right, right, <laughs> individual. Right, right. Um, yeah. So a lot of the time it makes the student much more interested if you if you build a story behind that question and realize how this is actually something people are computing at the moment for that very problem and why this is essential. Have you done any work with yourself with the high schools? I don't know if Case Western does any interaction. Have you talked to teachers or ever gone into the high schools? Do they have programs? With, I know you're busy and all that. <laughs> I know you have a day job and, and even uh, a night job right now and all that, that kind right. of stuff. So I uh, haven't worked with uh, high school teachers. I did a little bit when I was uh, at PI right. uh, right. um, with you. Um, what I do more is uh, high school students coming and uh, they're very excited about one thing or another, and they want to learn about gravitational waves, black holes, one thing or another. So I talk to them, uh, but that's much more on a one-to-one -one basis. Sure. Yeah. And they're also pre-selected to the extent that that's you're right. looking at a very that's high right. level of high school students. That's right. That's right. And they they want to come. Already. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Great. Is there anything we've talked about a wide range of different mm -hmm. things? Is there anything that you wanted to add or talk about uh, as well, or? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, there's no right answer to that. Um, I just wanted to make sure yeah, that uh, yeah, yeah. in case there was anything you wanted to. Yeah, no, they, I think when there was one point I wanted to add, I did it. Okay. Yeah. Nothing, yeah. nothing comes up right now. Okay. Thanks. Well, you know how to get a hold of me anyway. Right. <laughs> okay, thanks a lot, Claudia. Thank you. That was great. Thank you. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed this reformatted podcast. As mentioned at the outset, this conversation is also available both as an individual ebook and as part of the ebook and paperback Conversations About Physics, Volume 2, along with separate discussions with Freeman Dyson, Jenny Nelson, Lee Smolin, and Jill Tarter. Those interested in more information about Ideas Roadshow are directed to ideasroadshow.com, while those who are curious about me and other projects I'm involved in are recommended to visit howardburton.com. Thanks very much for listening, and I hope you'll tune into another Ideas Roadshow podcast on the New Books Network soon. We release a new one each Wednesday. With 
Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.